0: Good morning everybody, good to see you all here, thanks for being here if you're new with us, thanks for joining us, welcome to everybody online who's joining us, thank you for being with us, it's good to be together, thank you worship team for leading us this morning, that was, that was wonderful, we appreciate it. Um, if you've got your Bible with you, please open up with me to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Some of you are children, some of you are teenagers, some of you in your college age, post-high school aged. If, if you're older than that, do you remember what it's like being a teenager? Right? Part of being a young person in a public school or on a sports team or um, just in your neighborhood, is that you are often exposed to a lot of filth, uh, to filthy language, vulgar, vulgar conversations, crude jokes. Uh, when I was a teenager, um, the reason I didn't like going to parties, I remember in high school thinking this, was it was not really because kids were drinking there, even though I knew that they were drinking there, The reason I didn't like going to parties was because of the filthy things they talked about and joked about. Uh, Now, before the Lord had saved me, I had taken part in those types of conversations. I made a lot of mistakes in my teenage years. But the more that I spent time with the Lord, the more that I got to know Jesus better, the more that I read his word, the more that I talked to him, he showed me that he did not want me to take part in those things anymore. And that's actually why I quit playing basketball uh, after my sophomore year of high school, because I was the only Christian on the team. Um, I remember I was just tired of the never-ending filthy conversations and smutty music at the back of the bus and dirty jokes that surrounded me. In Wyoming, we had to take long bus trips to get to schools and um, in the locker rooms and in hotel rooms at night and... And honestly, I was tired of being made fun of because I didn't take part in those things that my teammates took part in. And um, You know, it's hard to follow Jesus when you're a teenager. (laughs) And it's hard to follow Jesus when you're a college student. And it's hard to follow Jesus when you're an adult. And the truth is, many people never progress from the filth of their youth. A lot of people don't. They're the same in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s as they were when they were 16 and you know for for those of us who know the lord by his grace even if we have tried to cut out that that stuff out of our lives the reality is this all of us are constantly tempted by the impulses of our body uh, by this dark world we live in by the devil to pursue these things, to take part in these things. We are daily tempted to pursue impure things just like we did when we didn't know Jesus. And the same was true for Christians 2,000 years ago. The, The apostle Paul wrote this letter that we've been reading to the Christians in Ephesus, which was a town known for its impurity. I mean, this place was filled with idol worship. It was filled with sexual sin filled with vulgarity and in chapters 4 to 5 Paul has been teaching us by the Holy Spirit how to live in this dark world as Jesus followers without living exactly like our neighbors without exactly living like this dark world And, and he said this this way put off your old selves that were in rebellion against God and put on your new selves that you have in Christ now and live for the glory of God Paul told us to imitate God the Father this God who loves us immensely who wants the best for us because we are his cherished children And then Paul told us to walk in love the same way that Jesus loved us, the same way that Jesus sacrificed himself for us, that's how we are to live lives of sacrifice. God has loved us so much and through his son we have life and now it is our turn to love God back and to love others with his love. We love God by knowing him personally, by enjoying God, by trusting God, and by imitating God. And so I want to look now in Ephesians 5, 1 to 7, where we pick up. We read 1 and 2 last week, and now I want to go through verse 7. Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, or whose covetousness, or, or excuse me, covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. In verse one, Paul reminds us then that we who trust in Christ are God's dearly beloved children. And then therefore, he says, we should imitate the Father, imitate his love, because we're our children and he's our good Father. And then it says Jesus revealed the Father to us through his life of love. Jesus lived a totally unique life, totally different than anyone else who's ever lived. He never sinned. He never rebelled. He never said a corrupt word. He never cursed. And his life ended... When he voluntarily laid down his life to be slaughtered and eternally punished in our place for the glory of God and for our eternal joy. And that is the ultimate expression of sacrificial love that the universe will ever know. Amen? <laughs> so now in verse 3, what Paul is doing is he's contrasting the selfless love of God. With the self centered behaviors of the world. And these self centered behaviors, he, at the top of the list here, are sexual immorality, all impurity, and coveted, covetousness or greed. And so Paul says that these things are so far from godlike. They are so far from imitating God and His love that we shouldn't even talk about them at length. And think about that. (laughs) We shouldn't even talk about them at length. And that right there reveals the clash between the values of God and the values of this world. Because God tells us not even to talk about at length the very things that this world worships and fights for. Wow. Now all of us have participated in these sins in one form or another, right? But but as Christians, now that we have the life of Christ in us, we get to and and, um, by the Holy Spirit can take off our old selves and put on our new selves, the garments of God's purity every day. God has freed us from our bondage to sin, amen? So God tells us here to take off your sexual immorality. And sexual immorality here refers to every sexual thought or behavior that occurs outside the context of monogamous heterosexual marriage. And scripture testifies over and over again God's design for sex is between one man, one woman who are married. And then God tells us to take off all our impurity or filth and all impurity refers to everything filthy, everything dark, everything vulgar, thoughts, words, promiscuous behaviors. And then God tells us to take off covetousness or greed, which is this insatiable desire for more. More, more, more. It's never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. I'm looking for more. It's it's the lust of the flesh that always wants more money, more possessions, more toys, more property more filth now if you're truly a follower of jesus the jesus of the bible by god's grace then I, i don't think i need to spend a whole lot of time convincing you these behaviors are wrong okay you know as well as i do sexual immorality impurity greed are wrong i think the more relevant question for us in our society is this if we know that these behaviors are wrong then why do so many of us still participate in them if we're doing these things unrepentantly, then what does that say about our souls? And what does that say about where we're at with God? See, God doesn't want us merely to become good, moral people. That's not his, his vision. <laughs> See, God is telling us here that if we persist in these selfish behaviors, self-centered behaviors, There's, we have a much deeper problem. It's not that we're not good people. It's that we have issues in our hearts. We are worshiping idols. We are not worshiping God. We're worshiping demons instead of the Lord. That's the way the New Testament puts it. We're sacrificing our lives to false gods. We're seeking our deepest pleasure in false gods. We're seeking acceptance in others and false gods rather than in Jesus Christ. That's a heart issue heart problem and it's serious now sexual immorality impurity greed they're not new sins of course they're ancient sins and the human race has been giving into these as long as we've existed and and these are some of the very same sins that ancient israel was engaging in when god cursed it when god poured out his wrath on it you see god not only wanted the israelites to stop doing these sins what did he want He wanted them to love him. He wanted them to know him. He wanted them to enjoy him in their hearts and to see that I, God, am so much better than the mud puddles you're playing in. In Ezekiel 14, one to six, the prophet Ezekiel wrote this. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet... I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Sexual immorality is not just a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. See, when I'm engaging in sexually immoral behaviors, I am not loving the Lord. I am not sacrificing for the Lord. I'm worshiping me. (laughs) I'm worshiping the bodies of people I'm not married to. I'm not thinking about the Lord. I'm not thinking about what's best for others. I'm thinking about myself. There is no sacrificial love and sexual immorality. And that's why God's not pleased with it. It it is a displeasing aroma to him. Last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember, we we talked about how it's the aroma of rot to God. It's a stench, makes him gag. And so what Jesus says is this, you cannot worship both mammon and me. You cannot worship money and me. You cannot worship sexual immorality and me. Because when we engage in sexual immorality without repentance or period, we rob God of the worship that he's due. We rob rob God of the sacrifice, the living sacrifice of our bodies that he is due. Right? Think about this. The first of the 10 commandments says this, I am the Lord your God. And the second commandment is this, you shall have no other gods or idols before me. And those idols include idols made by our hands and those idols which we take into our hearts. Now, impurity and greed are idols that we're tempted to worship too, right? Our, our sin nature gets a kick out of being impure. It gets a kick out of being vulgar and dark. If you don't believe me, look at the top 10 list on Netflix of what America is watching okay it gets a thrill our flesh gets a thrill out of pushing the envelope to see how impure we can be and then the idol of greed it's never satisfied in us right it it urges us get more impurity more vulgarity just experiment a little more give it a shot a little more sexual immorality get more money just a little more a little more clothes a little more shopping a little more property what God's telling us is this, Christians, we can't worship greed anymore. It's not fitting for us. And what does he say? Why? He's like, because you're saints now. I, may, I died to make you blameless. I died to purify you from these behaviors, not to free you to do them. And so instead of sacrificing our lives to the false God of sexual immorality, we want to sacrifice our bodies to the glory of God. And that's hard. And we can't do that on our own. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that in us. Um, Instead of sacrificing our lives to the false God of impurity, man, we want to offer our thoughts, offer our words consciously to the Lord as an offering to Him. We want to glorify Him. We want to build up one another. We want to edify one another. We want to say to one another what Jesus would say to one another. As Jesus said, we want to be as innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. Instead of sacrificing our lives to the false god of greed, we wanna seek to be content in in God and in knowing the Lord, being grateful for what we have, being grateful for, for all that he's given us. And then we offer him our ambitions. It's good to have ambitions, as long as we pursue ambitions for the right motives. We give God our money, God our careers, we give him our clothing, him our relationships, and say, God, I want all of this to be a living sacrifice pleasing to you. Now, this is important. Author Chap Clark writes, sacrificial love, which is what we're talking about, can be neither legislated nor coerced. For as soon as it becomes a duty, it ceases to be sacred. And he's right. We want our lives to be living sacrifices to the Lord, not out of mere duty, but out of a true superior delight that we take in the Lord and in his holiness and believe that he is better than the world, right? And Christians, we need to know this. God has called you He has called us as a church to something so much better than idol worship. He's called us to eternal life, now and forever, real life, true life, abundant life, in friendship with him, covered by him, at peace with him, and that is way better than anything this world could ever offer us. Now, in Matthew 15, 18 to 19, Jesus said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So what he's saying is this, the words that we say, the things that we talk about, are really the overflow, again, of what's in our hearts. Just like what we worship is a result of what's in our hearts. And what happens is that any idols that we are worshiping in our hearts work their way out in our lives through our words. That's why Paul says here in Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness nor foolishness, uh, foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So the reason why God doesn't want you to say filthy, foolish, or crude jokes is not because he wants to take the fun out of your life, okay? The reason why God doesn't want you to say filthy, foolish, or crude words and jokes is because he wants your heart. He wants your worship. He wants you to delight in imitating him more than you delight in imitating the world. God is so good, he is so loving, and he's also so just, right? Thank God God is just, perfectly just, more fair, more just than any of us ever could be or think we might be. He is the epitome of fairness and justice. I read in a book I heard this week, I was listening to it, he said, God is the most reasonable person in existence, okay? Okay. And one day he's gonna bring perfect justice to his creation, that's what he says he's gonna do. Evil, because evil must be punished. God is not gonna let evil go on forever. He says that those who do evil against the eternally good God will be eternally punishment. The punishment meets the offense. You cannot spit in the face of God and trample upon the blood of Christ and think that it has no consequences. So in verses five to six our heavenly father who loves us warns us two things will happen if we stay hard-hearted and unrepentant in our sexual immorality impurity greed and sin in general verse five says this for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So the person who does not turn away from sexually, uh, sexual immorality and purity and greed has no inheritance with God. First thing that means is you you do not have eternal life, you are not saved, okay? Uh, You're not a beloved child of God. All the spiritual blessings described in this letter do not belong to you. And that's a sobering and scary reality, right? Now, because God is so gracious, it doesn't mean there's no hope for a person like that because all of us in this room used to be people like that. Amen? (laughs) Now, the Holy Spirit, he's so awesome, so good, can convict non-believers of sin, can lead them to repentance, can show them the glory of God in the face of Christ and give them faith in Christ just like he did for those of us who believe. That's what we so desperately pray for, for our lost loved ones and neighbors and coworkers and all the nations. So this verse, verse five, should strike a healthy fear into our hearts about the eternal seriousness of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. This isn't what you're gonna hear on Netflix, okay? Now, what's troubling is that those of us who love the Lord know that we've done many of these things after trusting in Christ. So what does that mean for us? doesn't mean God will pour out his wrath on us. No. The difference between the true believer and the non-believer is that the true believer repents when he or she sins. Okay? The Holy Spirit convicts the believer of his or her sin. True believers do sin and sin egregiously at times but they are sad about their sin after that. They understand how they have sinned against God and others. And so the true believer confesses his or her sin to God and to others if necessary. And then the believer trusts again in this gospel that he or she is not saved, has never been saved, will not be saved because of his or her works, but because of the work of Christ credited to him or her. Amen? So the believer rests. You hear this? The believer then can rest knowing that he or she is saved only by grace alone, through faith alone. If we offer anything to our salvation, there's no hope. There's no hope for us. We only hope in Christ and then by the power of the spirit, the believer seeks to put off those sinful behaviors every day and to replace them with the garment of God's purity, the righteousness of Christ that we've been given. Now verse six then says, let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon this, the sons of disobedience. And I was trying to figure out what does that mean? That let no one deceive you. What it means is there's going to be a lot of voices you hear that tell you that this, these verses are baloney. That God doesn't treat people this way. And God says, do not listen to those voices. I, I warn you because I love you. Do not listen to anyone who says that God does not care about who you sleep with, that God doesn't care about your thought life, that God doesn't care about what you do with your possessions, that God doesn't care about the idols of your heart. Empty, deceptive words that permit and promote sinful behaviors are not the words of God. They're not the words of the person who wants the best for you, they're not the words of the Lord. The Father says this Give me your body and I will bless you. Give me your heart, give me your speech, and I will bless you. Give me your bank accounts, I will bless you. But, but the sons of disobedience then, this is the contrast with the sons of disobedience in this passage. The, they are those who are known for disobeying me, those who don't trust me, who don't wanna trust me, who don't love me, who have maybe even heard me, but they don't wanna hear me. This is what he says they're gonna suffer my wrath. And God does not take joy in that. But he's just and he's good. And this is what he does. And God says, don't be like them anymore. For your own eternal good and for the honor of the name of God, put off your old filthy selves and put off your new pure selves in Christ by the power of the Spirit. Man, when I was a teenager, I was so influenced by the people around me and the voices I heard on TV and the excuses I would hear on non, by non-believers, TV hosts on TV, on why sin is okay. And I, I, I ate it, I believed it. And you, I just want you to know, teenagers, that's not the voice of God. <laughs> the Word, if you wanna know what God thinks and how much He loves you, read the Bible. Now, if you're like me and you really want it, I mean, this is is a heavy passage, right? This is important, though. Uh, This is one of the reasons why we are part of a church and why we come to the Bible and why I, as a pastor, don't even set the agenda for what we're preaching. There's a lot of, because honestly, it's like who wants to preach about this, right? It's like, well, God sets the agenda, not me. And so we all need to go submit ourselves to God's agenda. Now, if you, like me, desire to honor the Lord and you want, and hear me, sorry, when I say that, I, I, I'm glad to preach about this stuff, right? I'm just saying it's not the easiest stuff to talk about with anybody, but it matters to God. Yeah. Um, if, if we wanna, because I think that a lot of us wanna honor the Lord, right? I wanna be a living sacrifice, it's really hard. I wanna be a pleasing aroma to you, then this is is what we might be asking when we read this passage. How do I do it? What does this look like real practically for me? I mean, how do I get rid of these things in my life, these habits, these addictions of my flesh that I lust after? I do want to imitate God. How do I do it? How do I begin to live a life of sacrificial love? Well, if we look closely at the passage, these verses, it gives us five answers. It gives us five answers, and that's what we're gonna look at here in the rest of our time. First, it says, build a close relationship with the Lord. Build a close friendship with the Lord. See, Christians, we are the ones who decide how much time and attention we give to the Lord. Your relationship with God is the most important relationship you'll ever have. It's the most important relationship in your life. It is foolish to invest in every other relationship in your life and to neglect your relationship with the Lord. And so we get to and we need a friendship with the God of the universe, our creator, our judge, who now through Jesus Christ is our justifier, amen? He's the one who declares us not guilty already. That's the kind of confidence you can have that's what justification means when you read that big word in the Bible it means the judge came down from the throne and suffered the punishment for you to declare you and did declare you not guilty already amen that's awesome knowing that man as I approach my death I'm not awaiting judgment I'm awaiting blessing eternal blessing in Christ because of Christ That's how God, God feels about us. He calls us beloved children. You're my cherished children in Christ. So, what this means is, in a practical way, I started doing this in eighth grade. I wish I would have done it earlier. Make time every day to fill yourself with His Word. Talk to God. Teenagers, I encourage you to start doing this too. Start reading through the New Testament, it's not that big to start reading a few verses at a time. Ask God, Lord, would you just help me because I have a tough time understanding the Bible. I don't even know. Would you, if I just want to read two verses, would you please help me understand these and show me how to apply them to my life? He will do that. Just get real with the Lord. We've got to stop playing games with the Lord and pretending we can be two people. God sees it all and he loves us still. <laughs> and so it means, God, I, I'm just going to talk to you Because it's foolish for me and and honestly disrespectful to you for me to pretend you don't know what's going on in my life. So I'm giving you all of my thoughts, all my hearts, all my fears. This is what I'm tempted by. These are the sins I'm doing. This is what I I hope that you'll do. And then you submit it all to God and you trust him. God loves you. He saved you to have a close personal relationship with you. What did Jesus say? I'm not going to forsake you. I will be with you always. Amen. So build a close relationship with the Lord, one baby step at a time. Second, cut off the fuel to the fire of temptation in your life. Cut off the fuel. I was this. Uh, let's see. There's a proverb that says this, and Bill Wayland, uh, uh, pastor over at the chapel, reminded me of this. In a, in a different context, but it applies here. He said this: No wood, no fire. If you want a fire to die, stop feeding it, okay? So, Paul here tells us over and over again not to allow impure behaviors to take root in our lives. What does that look like? Well, if I'm honest, I'm not gonna project onto you, but a lot of the temptation I experience is through digital media, okay? So this is one step I would say. If you use internet in your home, I would encourage you to get an internet router For your home that filters out bad content on all devices in your computer there's several good ones out there and it probably will make your internet stink a little bit more okay it means it might slow it down a little bit but it's okay it takes away the idol of internet for us a little bit there's also software you can install on each of your devices that will filter out bad stuff when you're not at home this isn't just for kids this is for us i need it you need it I don't want to see this crud hop right in before my eyes. I would love it if this got filtered out before it came to my screen. Okay. That's just one practical idea. But we've got to take pra- practical steps to cut off the fuel that fires our temptations to do evil. That means if you're tempted to do evil after 10 p.m. at night, you've got to start going to bed at 10 p.m. If you're tempted to do impure things, when you hang out with this certain group of people from high school or whatever, you've got to stop hanging out with them. You can love them, be friends with them, but if you know, dude, this is what they're going to go do, I I shouldn't be with them. I know that. If if the TV shows and movies that we're watching fill our minds with this crud, sexual immorality, greed, impurity, we need to fast forward stuff or we need to say, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm not even going there. If you want to kill a fire, then you stop putting wood into it. And it's the same thing with our spiritual lives. If you want to kill the fires of sexual immorality, impurity, and greed in your heart, then stop feeding them. You have a choice in that. Okay? Third, I wish we could spend a lot more time on all of these, but we're not going to. Replace impurity with a thankful heart, is what he says. Verse 4 says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, okay? So thanksgiving is the opposite of these things. So when we're tempted to sin, when we are tempted to worship false idols, when we're tempted to think God is not enough for me in this moment to overcome this thing that I am facing, that is when we repent and thank God for all that he is and all the blessings he's given us. That is what we do in that moment. Thank the Lord for saving you, thank him for loving you, Thank him for having your back and for loving you more than anybody else. Count your blessings in your life. Scripture says every blessing you have in your life is a gift from the Father above. Thank you, God. Thank you that I have money to have food on my dinner plate tonight. Thank you for giving me money to buy a vacuum so that I can vacuum my house. Thank you for water in my, that I have that's not... Dirty most of the time, um, that I can drink, which so much the world doesn't have. And who am I to have this? This was just the grace of God. And every now, this is another practical example, something I'm trying to practice what I preach. Every now and then, man, when you're eating dinner as a family, just take a minute before you pray and say, hey, let's all just say one thing we're thankful for today and why we're thankful for that. It's just good, because I think the more that we can... You kind of try to build habits of giving thanks the better another cool thing my wife does around thanksgiving is we just have a um well it's like uh, maybe you should come explain cindy no it's like this uh it's basically a tree and we put we every day we write another thing we're thankful for and we put an ornament on the tree and so by christmas you have this ornament full of things you're thankful for and so just things to incorporate that into our lives into our kids So we could see that we're not entitled to these things, we should give thanks for these things. Fourth, do not become partners with sons of disobedience. Verse seven says, therefore, do not become partners with them. So Christian, you're a beloved son or daughter of the Lord now, the Lord doesn't want you to do what you did when you didn't know him and love him. He doesn't, and it's really, it's a really, kind of a frightening phrase, the sons of disobedience, which if you remember earlier in Ephesians two, that's what we were. But he says, I don't want you to be a son of disobedience anymore. Live among them, yes. Befriend them, yes. But don't become partners with them. So as a single Christian, if God has put it on your heart to be married someday, the first thing you wanna look for in a future spouse is whether they know the Lord and love the Lord and wanna follow the Lord of the Bible. As as a social Christian, the first thing you want to look for in a potential close friends, the ones who are actually going to influence you, do they love the Lord? Do they love the word? Do they want to follow Jesus? Doesn't mean you can't have all sorts of friends who don't, but what what are the influential people in my life like? In all of your endeavors, be very careful who you partner with because they are going to influence you. And this, is, and this is, more than that, this is what the scripture says. God will hold you accountable for the people you choose to partner yourself with. There won't be any finger pointing at that point. There won't be any casting blame on someone else. God holds you accountable for the person you partner yourself with. Fifth, make yourself accountable to other Christians. So all these commands in this passage, they're, they're not written to individual Christians. Merely they were, but individuals are a, a group. It was written to a, a group of Christians. And one of the tools God uses to make us like him is confession and accountability. Because when we confess our sins to one another, that takes humility, and those sins lose some of their power over us. And we are declaring to God and others that we want to repent I can't tell you how free I have gotten from sin by bringing things that were in the darkness into the light, by confessing sin. Confessing sin to close Christian brothers and sisters, making yourself accountable to them will greatly rid your life of sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness, and greed. This is a high calling, you guys. This is is a high calling. None of us are worthy of. This is God's grace that he has poured on us in Christ to imitate God. And it probably seems pointless. It might seem hopeless to imitate God had Jesus not come to save us and to give us his power to imitate him. But God is so gracious to us, you guys. So this is what we need to do, rest in our... In in his grace, in his the perfection of his finished work, and not in ourselves. Now think about this. Now we want to end this time by just thinking about who Jesus is for us and what he has done for us. Jesus, our Savior, lived the life we should have lived. He was never, think about it, he was never sexually immoral. He was never impure, he was never greedy. And because of this perfection, his perfect obedience to God's law, which we haven't done, that's why he was able to be the perfect sacrifice for us. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So for our sake, what it says, God the Father made his only perfect son, Jesus, to be sin the one who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. How did this happen? On the cross. On the cross, he, think about this, this is what actually took place. He who was without sexual immorality became the sexually immoral for our sake. That's what it means to be sin. On the cross, he who was without impurity became impure for our sake. On the cross, he who was without greed became greed for our sake. And he suffered the wrath of God that we deserve to suffer for all of that. And he put all of them to death in his death so that they no longer would have any eternal power over us. Amen? So Jesus rose from the dead then to declare that this is true, that we are pure in God's sight if we trust in Jesus, if we go the Jesus way, not our own way. And so as we seek to follow and obey the Lord, what does this mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means we do this not because we know we're gonna do it perfectly. We do this with hearts of delight and gratitude, not out of duty or fear. We're doing it because... I want to be like this God. I want to know this God. I want to honor this God who saved me and who loves me more than anybody else. So may our motivation for purity be love and thanksgiving and not fear or coercion. Next Sunday, we're going to look more at what Paul says here about what, what does it look like to live for the Lord in the midst of a dark world. I hope you'll come back for that, and I hope... God would sanctify all of us as we think about this this week and rest in his grace and his finished perfect work for us and his promise to do this in and, out of, in and through us because he is the author and finisher of our faith. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time we have together. We just read passages like this and it's like, boom, my hand's the first one to go up guilty. Uh, we all know it. And uh, it just blows our minds that you love us still. And that from eternity past, when you saw everything we would ever do, every evil thing we would ever do, you still said, I love them. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to save them. And I'm going to protect them and live with them in peace forever. Those are my beloved sons and daughters. Thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. And... Please help us, God, with passages like this. It really brings out the, I don't know, really contrasts the difference between this world and your kingdom. We just pray that you would make us kingdom people, that you would give us hearts that want to worship you and everything that we do with our bodies, our minds, our souls, our strength, our hearts. We love you. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you, God, that even when we fall into sin, we repent, you restore us. You promised us hope and friendship and life and peace with you. You're so good to us. Help us not to believe the lies of the world but just to listen to you and keep our eyes on you. We pray this for your name and our joy, amen. All right, thank you for being here. Hey, if you're new with us, um, we'd love to get to know you. There's a little connection card at the boxes at the doors when you leave. If and when you feel comfortable telling us a little bit about yourself, you could drop those in there. And uh, hope you have a great week this week. And let's stay close to the Lord and love each other well. Okay, thank you. Goodbye.